Hey, bro, how's your trip? Oh, it was good. Hopped on a plane, flew the whole on to Disney. Nice. So what'd you do this weekend? Oh, not much, just took my to the movies. You? Did some yard work, some stuff around the house. Jonathan, what about you? Well, we got everybody together and had a meeting. Oh, my uh, wife and I cleaned out the attic and found a ton of heirlooms. Turns out we had a pretty cool You wanna trade Man, I can't take my anywhere. <laughs> Me neither, my is so embarrassing. <laughs> Sometimes my drives me nuts. Dude, you have the weirdest Hey, what have you been into lately? Man, my dad's been bugging me to get into the business. Yeah, just this past weekend, I had to go and take portraits. Hey, hey, wait, you know what's the worst? Reunions. <laughs> you guys talking about Yeah? Good stuff? Okay, um... Well, let's get started. So on the agenda for today, we need to talk about the artwork for the next series. After doing a little research recently, I have just come to the realization that it is universally known and accepted across the world nation to nation, that in-law family relationships are difficult. That in every culture, right, the, the whole other side of the family thing is a tense thing. It's a challenging thing. I didn't know that. Like, here's an example. Um, in Australia, in certain Aborigine tribes, they actually have something that's called a mother-in-law language. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a language, uh, a kind of words, adaptions to the, the native language there, whatever it is, that's specifically spoken between mother-in-laws and son-in-laws. The technical term, and I'm not making this up, research it, the technical term is called avoidance language. <laughs> Isn't that great? I think it's awesome. I learned how to speak that. I also came to the realization that in-law jokes are universally funny. In every culture, they have their own version. Like this one, this is one of my favorites. Um, a guy was going to work and looked, coming down the street, what looked to be a funeral procession, but it looked a little odd, it looked a little different. What he saw was the casket was coming down, leading the procession, and there was a gentleman walking behind the casket, looking sullen and sad. He had his dog with him. And then there was a long line of people behind him walking single file. It's kind of weird. So he walked up to the guy. He said, hey, man, what, what's going on? So obviously the funeral looks a little different, though. And he said, oh, yeah, my, my mother-in-law died. He said, man, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Do you mind me asking what happened? He said, yeah, my dog bit her. He said, oh, you don't say. Do you mind if I bar him for a night? <laughs> he said, sure. You're going to have to get in line, though. <laughs> oh, that's just funny. Now, if you're a little tight-lipped right now because you're a mother-in-law and you don't think that's funny, then all you need to do is take a second and think about your own mother-in-law and you'll find out why it really is funny. Okay? Yeah. Just a universal thing. Let's pick back up where we left off last week. Last week, we, dis we uh, discovered the question that drives this entire series, 
We're talking about the family being the F word, something we avoid, something we struggle with. And so this question is going to be the driving force behind each week in the series. And here's the question. So we'll start here again. We ask the question, what if we love our family, the people we say we love more than anybody else on the planet, right? What if we love our family the way Jesus loves us? Because he commanded us to. We saw that last week when we began by talking about marriage. He commands us to love each other the way he's loved us. And you're like, well, that doesn't apply to family. Oh, it most certainly does, especially since family are the people we say we give our lives for. Family are the people we say we love the most. So obviously it applies to family. But today specifically, what about the other side of the family? The others, the in-laws, the outlaws, whomever, you know? And maybe you're single and you're like going, I don't know how this applies to me. Well, if one day you're going to be married, you need to take notes because this is sure surely going to apply to you. Um, and maybe you're single again, you're probably still dealing with the shrapnel of family stuff left over from what was, right? So everybody can use this. Everybody can apply this. You might be thinking at this point, wait a second, you want me to love them like Jesus loves me? And everybody has a them. You have a them. You want me to love them? And you might be thinking about your mother-in-law or your father-in-law. You might be thinking about your son-in-law or your daughter-in-law, or your brother-in-law, or your sister-in-law. Or you might be thinking about that uncle on the other side, or that cousin. Or maybe, in some instances, the grandparents, or the grandchildren. You always got that one outlier, you know. Not quite sure how they got in the family. But they just wreck it for everybody kind of thing. You want me to love them the way Jesus loves me? Yeah, it's challenging, isn't it? Because see, you chose him and got them. You chose her, but all her gang came with her. And it can get crazy. Even if, listen carefully, even if your in-law relationship, your relationships with the other side of the family is in good shape right now. And some of you, you have great in-laws. Some of you have great other side of the family relationships. You get along great, everything's going great. Eventually, you're going to need what we're talking about today. And we'll get to it in just a few minutes. We're going to take a, a couple of minutes to get there. But whenever we get to what Jesus said about loving people, you're going to need this. Some of you need it right now because you're about to lose your freaking mind with your family. And some of you are like, no, things are good. But one day, one day, you're going to need this. It's just crazy stuff. Let me take a moment and describe it for you in case you're having trouble following me. I mean, the other side of the family, they just don't do things the way you do them, right? They don't do things. They don't do things the way y'all did growing up. Or, they, or they, they do things that you would never do. Or they don't do things you guys always did. Like, all you got to do is just think of the holidays. And how they do Thanksgiving versus how y'all always did Thanksgiving. There's always a them and a y'all and a us kind of thing, right? And y'all do Christmas. Oh, especially Christmas. The way gifts are exchanged. You know, you buy there's some families, right? They're just, they had it set. You know, you buy a gift for this person. You don't need to buy a gift for everybody, but then you marry into a family. We give gifts to everybody three generations back. If we can find them alive on our family tree, they get a gift. Oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? Right? You, you, you see this, right? The special days are handled differently. The birthdays, the anniversaries, and my goodness, family vacations are done differently, right? 
I mean, you go to some family vacations, they like to actually have a vacation. Other families, it's like a marathon. We're going here, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. What we always do, we've always done this. And you married into this circus and you're like, oh my gosh, I need a vacation from the vacation. <laughs> the way they make food is different. We'll come back to that. That can be serious. <laughs> I'm not kidding. The way they handle money is different, right? Even believe, they believe different things than y'all did growing up, right? About God, about church, how they pray, if they pray, or maybe they don't even believe in God at all. You hear this phrase a lot, I can't believe your family doesn't, and you fill in the blank. Because in our family, we always pray, blah, 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 blah. In our family, we always went to church. In our family, we always, and so I can't believe that in this family, in your family, you feeling that with me? And then all the expectations and the assumptions and the boundaries that get crossed, like how much time you spend with one side of the family versus how much time you spend with the other side of the family. And don't we know there's, there's always somebody in every family that's keeping score? You got somebody in your family keeping score. You were with them for three hours and with us for an hour and 17 minutes. They were tracking it. It'll come back up, all right? The topics that you have to walk around on eggshells when it comes up, right? The things you just don't talk about. You just don't go there. All right, you can't go there with my mom. You can't go there with my dad. You know my sister's there. You can't bring this up. You know my brothers. It's just like you got to go through the protocol when you're pulling up in the driveway. Say this. You can't say this. Don't say this. Don't you dare say this. And it's just like all, and you're telling the kids, and if you've got elementary age kids in the back seat, you're just so nervous because they've heard everything, and they'll say anything, and it's like, oh, my goodness, right? The topics of conversation, the stories that you pretend never happened. Everybody knows it happened. Everybody remembers when the brother did that or when the mom did that or when the dad or when the uncle came home slot drunk and embarrassed everybody, but no, you can't ever bring it up. Everybody knows it happened, but we don't talk about it. Then the comparisons. We liked your first husband a lot better. <laughs> right? Wife number two was better than one and certainly better than number three. We just wish... <laughs> Why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like your sister? Then the kids come into the picture, right? Grandkids come into the picture. And there's different styles of parenting, different opinions on what should be done and how and what they should be given and what they should eat and when they can eat it, and how much. And my goodness knows, discipline, Right? You beat the tar out of that kid. I'll tell you what right now, when I was a kid, you don't touch my child. You know, it's just, oh, and then it's perfect. And no, he's a devil. It's just all this stuff just kind of comes swirling around. You discover the grudges that have been hanging around for years. Maybe the abuse that nobody's dealt with. Maybe the neglect that people look the other way. Or maybe, 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 you're in a family situation where you just say they don't like me. They just don't like me. They never have. They don't like me. They don't hear me. They don't want to know me. They don't even give me a chance. And to make all of this more complex, there's the blended family situation, right? So we're now because of a second marriage or a third marriage or you fill in the blank, now there are extra sets of in-laws than originally intended. Some families have three and four and five sets of extra in-law 
said some, boy, you better know the connection between you don't mix them up and yet just more traditions. And wow, that is so messy. Even if you're blessed with your in-laws, eventually you're going to need what we're talking about. I have great in-laws, fantastic family. Donna's side of the family is the other side of the family for me. And for 24 years, gotten to know them. And, and by no means are they perfect. And I got to tell you, it was an adjustment. It really was an adjustment. I, I don't come from a family of huggers. We're not big huggers, typically. Well, something's bad wrong, right? And so, second, you know, second time I'm at her house, you know, everybody's there, and it was, I can't remember if it's Thanksgiving or whatever, we were still dating, you know, and everybody's hugging, and I'm like, man, there's a lot of huggers in here, there's a lot of unnecessary touching going on. <laughs> no, and they're hugging me, and I'm like, hey, hey, we don't know each other like that yet. There's a lot of personal space getting violated up in these parts. Just be careful, you know. They just hug. And now, you know, I'm a much better adapted hugger. My circle of hugging people you know, has gotten a little bit better, you know. But then there was the issue with the potato salad <laughs> that we're still working through. I told you we'd come back to food. And if you don't know why that's funny, then obviously you're not from around these here parts. Because in the South, potato salad is a religious thing. And how your family makes it is important. You know it, too. Cause they, so Donna's mom, she's a great cook, but her potato salad was missing something. Pickles. Right? In my family, we always put the sweet, the bread and butter. I think they're called bread and butter pickles. You always put bread and butter pickles in the, in the potato salad. And some of you are shaking your head, and yes and no. See? You see what I'm saying? We could have a civil war right here <laughs> in Jesus' church. And so, man, it's like, what's up with the pickles? I mean, what's the world coming to? A guy's got to carry his own jar of dang pickles to the family outing. I'm just going to stand over here and cut up pickles. How you doing, hug? <laughs> we get through it. We get through it. Helps to laugh, doesn't it? Because it can be so hurtful. All this stuff. Maybe you're sitting there and you're going, man, how to love them like Jesus loves me. Man, I don't know, but I don't care. Because family. No, you've got to care. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, you don't have a choice but to care. You have been commanded to love other people, especially those you say you love the most, like Jesus has loved you. And if you're not a Christian, this will even transform your own family relationships. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you're on the hook for this. Yeah, but man, that's family. Yeah, but... Even more so. Now listen, I want to show you something that's not a great theological revelation, okay? In the next few minutes, we're not going to be like, oh my goodness, we have never heard this before. That's not the point. The point is to take a very simple truth that Jesus taught and run it through the filter of your family, especially the other side of the family like we're talking about today because we often don't do that. We hear these words of Jesus and we think about our neighbor. We think about the people we work with. We think about the stranger. We think about the people that vote differently than we do. We don't think about the people that we say we love the most. And so we need to think about our family. Again, you may have a good situation in your family or right now your family may be imploding on itself. But I want to show you that even in the worst case scenario, Jesus has something to say. Even in the worst case scenario, let's assume 
your family, they're as bad as they could possibly be. Like, they're, they're your antagonists. They are almost like your arch rivals, like, like an enemy to you. Well, oh, come on, that's taking it too far. They're not like enemies. Okay, good then. Good then. This shouldn't be a problem for you. But even if they are the most horrible people you've ever met in your life, Jesus addresses even the extreme. When he tells us, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Well, I wouldn't take it that far. I would say they're enemies, but okay, great. Then we're in good shape, right? So if, if they're not even, I mean, friends should be a lot easier to love than enemies, right? So if you can love your enemies, you can love anybody, right? But he starts breaking this down. He goes, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Or curse you out. Now, does that hit a little closer to home in your family? Oh, yeah. I remember that. Pray for those who hurt you. You ever been hurt? By what she said, by what he did, by the way they treat you, how should you respond? You do good to them. You bless them. You pray for them. As if you would love an enemy. And then he says this. This is fascinating thinking. Jesus said, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. In other words, he's saying, to only respond lovingly to people who respond lovingly to you first, that's so immature. That's so bottom-rung thinking. I mean, that's easy. That's Anybody can do that. I mean, that's when loving is easy. It's easy to love somebody who loves you. Then he goes back to it. He said, I'm talking about loving your enemies. Do good to them. He repeats it. And then he, he throws this in here. And we won't go too far into this because a fight will break out. But lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Well, you don't mix family and money. You don't mix family and money. Everybody knows you don't. Mean, and I understand where that's coming from. But Jesus said, if you do, you, you don't lend to them expecting to be repaid. Like an enemy. He's talking about enemies, which would apply to your family when it comes to money. You, you, you know what he's calling this? It's called a gift. So by the way, if you ever have to deal with money when it comes to your family... Don't be lending and borrowing. It's, you give to each other. Because those are the people you love the most, right? Mm. All right, let's go. Then when you do all of this, your reward in heaven will be very great. Your reward from heaven will be very great. And watch this. You will truly be acting as children of the Most High. When you love your enemies, when you love people that are hard to love, when you do good to people that don't deserve it, when you bless people who curse you, when you pray for people who hurt you, when you lend to people that are hard to lend money to and you don't expect them to pay it back, you give it to them. When you treat people that are hard to love this way, that's when you're starting to act like children of God. Because, see, that's how he treats you. And that's how he's treated me. Let's finish it. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. That's you and me. 
At some point, that's been you. At some point, that's been me. So you must be compassionate just as your father. You see the comparison? Loving others like he has loved us. So he is kind, you must be kind. He is compassionate, so you must be compassionate. Wow. I mean, this is Luke chapter 6. Maybe you need to jot that down and read this before you go visit your family next time. Maybe you ought to have your kids memorize it and on the car, on the way. All right, kids, what's a memory verse? Bless those who curse you. That's right, children. Love your enemies. That's right. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying do that. That's just funny. It's the way my mind works. Basically, what we're being taught here is that love is greatest when it's the hardest. It's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive. I didn't say it's easiest when it's hardest. It's greatest when it's hardest. Because see, a lot of times, a lot of times we assume when things are going wrong in a family unit that something's bad wrong. Like when it's hard to love people, what's wrong with us? We're so messed up, we're so screwed up. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with our family? Why can't we get this right? It doesn't have to be this hard. No, nothing's necessarily wrong with you. When love is difficult, it just means you have more than one human in the room and they've been together long enough for it to get a little sideways. Aren't, aren't you guys with me on that? Uh, like on family vacations or in the holidays? Have you noticed that breaking point? There's a breaking point. It comes between day two and day three. Like into day two, we're all good. It's still hugs and loves. But something happens in that 36-hour, I mean, that third day, you know, that third day, that, 70, that, that would be 72 hours, right? Right around that 72-hour mark, you know, the, the devil shows up or reveals that he was there the whole time, right? And then it's like, oh, my goodness, we're going home, baby. <laughs> we can't go home. We told mom we'd be here for five days. No, we're going home, right? <laughs> Because if, if somebody doesn't do something, a brawl is going to break out. See, that's when love is greatest. In the moments when it's hardest, love was meant to function the best when it was hardest to give. When you're dealing with hard-to-love people. You got hard-to-love people in your family? I bet you do. Love functions best when it's most challenging. In the situations when you're all out of grace, right? You've been gracious, you've been gracious, you've smiled and you've smiled and the smile has turned into a clinch and you've had it passed up to here. When you're all out of patience, that's when love is the greatest. That's when love can really do a great work. When you're all out of patience. You see, a lot of times we think, well, I've just lost my patience. That's it. Something's wrong. Something's horrible. No, that's when love shows up. That's when love truly shows up. Because Jesus said, it's easy to love when things are good. It's easy to love when people are loving you. Oh, it's easy when people are doing good to you to do good to them back. Even sinners. That's, that's so immature. That's bottom rung thinking. That's bottom rung living. But when you're all out of patience, and you're all out of energy. I can't give anymore. I can't do this anymore. I can't talk with them anymore. 
I can't engage with them anymore. I cannot hear that stupid story one more time. Right? That's when love shows up. And love shows itself to be the greatest. Love does its greatest work and has its greatest impact when it's hardest to give. That's when it's most healing for you, for them, and for your family. It's hard to give. It's difficult because of the pain and the hurt. I mean, here's a sad truth. Here's a sad truth. And, and this is important for you to understand because when you understand this, a lot of things will start making sense. See, we assume we should not experience great hurt from people that greatly love us, right? We shouldn't ever be hurt by people who love us. But you've got to understand, the reason we're hurt is because they love us. The reason what they say is so hurtful is because they're supposed to love us. And I love them, and they love me, and I can't believe she said that, and I can't believe he did that. See, the more you love someone, the more the potential of hurt is. The greater you love someone, the greater the potential of hurt. If a complete stranger walks up to me and insults me to my face, I'm like, man, what's your problem? Are you drunk? What's your deal? Somebody needs to help this dude. And I will walk down the street and not think another thing of it. I just have a cool little story to tell. Man, some dude walked up to me and insulted me and my mama and all this kind of thing. I'm like, what's up? But if someone that I dearly love and whom dearly loves me, if they insult me, that can cut me to the depth of my soul. Why? Because the more you love someone, the greater you have the potential to hurt them. So if you don't want to be hurt, don't love. But that's no way to live. It's worth the risk. That's why love is risky. You may not know that. You need to know that. And so now, what's wrong with our family? All this hurt. No, you love each other so much. When you hurt each other, that's why it hurts so much. And that's when love can do its greatest work. When it's hardest with the pain and the hurt that's been caused. Maybe it's hard for you right now with your family because you really do have this expectation that your family should be perfect. Technically, you know no one's perfect, but at least you want them to look perfect because you're constantly comparing your family to all the Instagram families. Look, I can just tell by their family portrait, they had a fantastic vacation, right? You have no idea what kind of hell broke loose to get that family picture made, <laughs> right? Don't do that. I've been a pastor for almost 24 years now, and I can tell you, I've never met a family that doesn't have issues. Ever, ever, everybody's got issues. Love through the issues. That's when love is the greatest. When it's up against all those icky, sticky issues. Love is the greatest when it's the hardest. And you know the other thing that makes it so hard, difficult, challenging, is because in a family, we know all the stuff. We know all of it. Now, we can't talk about it, <laughs> right? Don't mention that. You know she's up in her years now. She'll have a heart attack. You don't want to kill mama, do you? <laughs> don't you bring that up. You know all the stuff. They know all the stuff on you. You know all the stuff on them. Well, that's a perfect opportunity for love to do its greatest work. When you know all the stuff, 
You see, that's why Jesus' love is so fascinating. That's why Jesus' love is so transforming. It's because when it comes to me and you, he knows all the stuff. And he says, I'm going to die for you anyway. I'm going to love you anyway. Even though I know all the stuff. And it probably would be very good for you and I to remember that we too can often be very hard to love. We too. You too can actually be the cause of the problem sometimes. You too can actually be the reason someone else looks at this and goes, love is greatest when it's the hardest? You mean like with her or with him and they're thinking about you? Yeah, so let's be gracious. And I want you to leave with that hard to love person on your mind Maybe you're sitting beside them. Maybe you're going to eat lunch with them. And I want you to be thinking this. I must love them like Jesus loves me. I must love them like Jesus loves me, which means grace, patience. We're going to go at this again. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to let you give up on me. We're not going to give up on each other because God doesn't give up on us. He said, well, what if they don't throw the ball back, man? What if they don't reciprocate love? What if they don't participate in the process? Well, that does make it a little bit more challenging, but it still doesn't mean you don't do it. Because I see love is greatest when it's the hardest. That may make it a little bit more challenging. That's going to make it harder. But it's going to make love have a greater opportunity. Whether or not they respond with love back to you has nothing to do with your obligation to love them like Jesus has loved you. Even if they don't love you back, even if they ignore you, even if they push you to the side, it has nothing to do with their response. They don't have to love you back for you to love them. Because see, that's what the love of Jesus is all about. You know, we, we like to mention God's love and talk about how God loves the world, God loves the world, God loves everybody in the world, and that is so true. More than you and I can understand or fathom, God's love is so great. John 3.16 is right. God loved the world. I want you to think about what that means. If God loves everyone in the world unconditionally, do you know what that means for him? That the majority of people in the world don't love him back. He loves the majority of the people in the world among whom do not love and reciprocate his love back to him. So you're in good company. If you're you're loving someone like this and being gracious to them and serving them and doing good to them and being kind to them and showing them compassion and hanging in there in this relationship and you keep taking it and you keep saying, I'm going to pray for you. And I mean, you know, I mean, you probably won't want to say that to their face because that could start a fight. I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> don't, don't do that. But pray for them. Pray for them behind their backs. There you go. That's a better way to say it. You'll be amazed at what God will do. That's when your love is aligning with the love that Jesus has given to you. So I challenge you to make the effort again because I know some of you have been down this road before, dude. Broken record. Go at it again. God's still chasing you. The reckless love of God is still pursuing you. So try again. Give grace again. Forgive them. 
yet again. Be kind to them again. Reach out to them. Have the conversation again, or at least welcome the conversation and invite it and say, I'm ready when you're ready. And remind them often. Don't let let that opportunity miss you. And for those of you that have been greatly hurt, yeah, it would be great if all of this could come out in the open and be dealt with, but here's what you may have to do. You may have to, by God's grace, forgive them without them asking, because you can, and let it go and move forward. We've done so much stuff wrong. There's no way we could remember all the stuff wrong we've done to ask God to forgive us and just say, God, forgive me all my sins. That, that's, that's lame. You can't even remember all the stuff you've done wrong. If God waited for us to perfectly ask for forgiveness, perfectly for everything we've done wrong, before he loved us, we'd be in a mess. I've forgotten all the stuff I've done wrong, I'm sure. But you know what God says? Because I'm going to give you my grace. Yes, ask for forgiveness. I'll forgive you, and I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to keep forgiving you, and I'm going to keep working with you, and I'm going to keep loving you, and I'm going to keep being kind to you, and I'm going to keep being compassionate to you. That's what you need to do. And maybe you're not there right now. Some of you are there right now. You need to do it right now. And some of you, that day's coming when you're going to need to love them anyway. Let it go and move forward. Loving them like Jesus loved you. I must love them like Jesus loved me. Let me pray for you. Because I am pretty sure we all need it. And I want to challenge you and invite you to pray for that person that's the most difficult to love in your family. Especially on the other side. Father, thank you for this challenge. My goodness, we needed it. I needed it. We talk about your love and how we should treat each other, but we often don't even think about how it applies where we live and to the people that we say we love the most and who love us. Help us to start at home and love each other the way you've loved us, even when it's difficult because that's when love love has the greatest potential. That's when love is the most powerful seen. And it's when it's needed the most. It's when it's most challenging to give. And there are people in this room and watching online that are thinking about those difficult situations and those hard-to-love people. Maybe there are some people on the verge of giving up right now. God, give them grace. Give them strength in this moment. Fill them with the power of your spirit to love again and to love more and to love greater than they ever have loved because that's the way you love us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.